This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore, and this is The Breakfast Wrap for Tuesday, April 25th. Today's forecast, a mixture of sun and cloud with a chance of some showers this afternoon. The high today, 11 degrees. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, the Leafs win game four in overtime and the city rejoices. Number two, the feds show a little weakness on the union file. Number three, questions raised over a century-long spa lease. Number four, a growing number of homeowners are underwater with their mortgages. And number five, America's number one cable news star is shown the door. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Over it goes to Willie. Back it comes to Giordano. Giordano shot. Scores! Scores! Mark Giordano scoring! The pass off the wing and the shot from the blue line was deflected right at the goal. But the Leafs win it in overtime. This is More in the Morning on News Talk 1010 Toronto. Is anybody going to be paying attention to their work today? This city is totally supercharged. And it was last night as well. Jim Richards was very funny because he was on the air as the Maple Leafs managed to wrap it up in spectacular fashion. They won game four. They lead the series 3-1, one more victory, and they are on to the next stage, which they haven't done in a good long time. Jim Richards was tweeting, I can hear the cheering in the streets for the show that I'm doing on the air right now. And people, really, people were dancing in the streets last night. And why not? There's so few things that are positive and exuberant and worth celebrating these days, but your favorite sports franchise doing better than it has done in decades is something worth celebrating. I can't describe words right now. All I can say is we won! Game five, let's go! Look at the crowd! We're nuts here! I'm losing my voice. That's how happy I am right now. This is insane. And yeah, why not? Uh, so uh, the Leafs pulled it off. I won't do it blow by blow because it's just, uh, you know, I'm not a sports analyst. So all I can tell you is the Leafs won in game four and they pulled it off with a 5-4 victory. And it happened in overtime. That's the second overtime victory in this series, isn't it? So here are the Leafs versus Tampa Bay on the verge of eliminating Tampa Bay. And uh, the next game is on Thursday. And as I've mentioned in the past, there's, there's a wider window to this aside from just being a sports fan. And that is that every single new game. So we go to the next series, that's minimum four games. You know, that, and that's assuming the best and the worst. Minimum four games, each of them. I should probably do a little research. Okay, I'll promise you I will. I want to know what each of those games is worth to this city. In beer sales, in tips, in added servers and bartenders, in broadcast rights, in all the people who will, for some of the games, be working at the Scotiabank Arena. It's big money. And it's also just a supercharged moment in the life of this city as we enter the month of May. 5.10 is the time right now, and I, I realize this is a bit like trying to analyze a chess game move by move, but it does seem that the federal government is showing a little bit more flexibility than they were before when it comes to the striking federal workers. 
And I don't know if that's because the workers upped their game yesterday in terms of picketing. I don't think that was that big a deal, but they did, for example, slow things down at the Port of Montreal. It may have more to do with a poll that came out yesterday that found Canadians as, you know, as a people are not quite as toxic about this work disruption or the demands of the workers as the punditry or pundocracy seems to be. So we were talking about that on the show yesterday morning where 55%, and you can dispute the poll, sure, but, you know, take it for what it is. I'm sure the feds are doing their own internal research as well. 55% of Canadians didn't have an issue. As a matter of fact, they were fairly enthusiastic about these federal workers asking for more flexibility about working from home. And that's because this is a bit of a proxy battle on behalf of all workers who may be in a position to work from home. And that's, you know, one day, I guess somebody's going to write an MBA study on this, that the, we had, everybody was working from office places. It made perfect sense. You get a job, you're onboarded at the office, you're, here's your office, here's the place you're going to work, or here's the desk you're going to have to fight over every day. But the idea was that 100% of the employees, unless you're on sick leave, would show up for work in a workplace. And then along comes COVID and we're all compelled to work from home. And it became this test case. I mean, we discovered in radio that I, I, you know, I must have done my show from my house for a year. Um, the only people, and Nick Marano, you're, you're on the fuzzy end of the lollipop in this one. Uh, the only people who absolutely had to be in the station were the people who were working the board. And that included you. Yeah, it was. I, I mean, walking into the building the first day, second day seemed eerie. But then a week, two weeks, three weeks later, it felt really, really weird. Well, my, it must have been strange. I mean, because for the most most of this, you were with uh, Jerry Agar, right? So you're sitting here staring at an empty studio. Jerry Agar is hosting his show. You can't see him unless you brought him up on a on a video board. Um, but yeah, and and everybody else was in endless Zoom meetings. Although I know from that, you know, when we talk about proof of concept about working from home, I also know, uh, for, you know, this is anecdotal. As our afternoon host once said, not the current afternoon host, many previous hosts ago, they said, it's not anecdotal. It happened to a friend of mine. But I can account for several people in my life who got so sick of Zoom meetings and of walking past a room in their home that previously had been, you know, where they did almost their hobby stuff and their emails and whatever else. All of a sudden it became this prison. And so they retired. And a lot of people who are of a certain age just said, screw this. So working from home is not necessarily an all-around paradise. But back to the feds seem to be showing some degree of flexibility. And also, I'd add, and I know this is going to be a very unpopular sentiment, but you can't simultaneously say that inflation is out of control and punishing everybody and it's an existential crisis and the government's need to do something about inflation. And then when um, a group representing a group of workers comes to the table to negotiate something because they haven't had a contract since 2021, and they say, we'd like to approximate the rate of inflation, and you say, you're greedy. Those are sort of irreconcilable. (laughs) 
Okay, let's say good morning to News Talk 1010's John Moore. John, good to see you. Uh, so I think Leafs fans are still in shock this morning after the Leafs win game four in overtime after coming back from a pretty big deficit. What an extraordinary night in the life of our city. I mean, people were literally dancing in the streets last <laughs> night. The Leafs making it very clear they could actually win this series and advance to the next series. It was a 5-4 victory. It came in overtime. The exuberance at the Scotiabank Arena was extraordinary, but then everybody poured into the streets and, you know, talked to any camera or microphone they could find because they were just so excited that for once the buds seemed to be pulling it off. Yeah, what a difference uh, then from that first game for sure. Okay, we'll see how they do in their next game coming up this Thursday. Uh, meantime, the feds are trying to make a deal with the striking PSAC union. Yeah, I'm wondering what the motive in all of this is, if it's that a poll came out yesterday showing Canadians are not hostile to these workers, or if it was the fact that the workers kind of upped their picketing game and started interfering with traffic, for example, at the Port of Montreal. Now, the feds have not upped their offer, but they did send a letter. The minister responsible sent a letter to the union signaling that they're ready to talk. I don't know if that means they're ready to fold, but I think that we're closer to a deal here. Mm, okay, and turning to provincial politics now, now, uh, Ontario Place, uh, apparently their deal with that private Therma spa company spans 95 years. I think uh, the leader of the NDP is going to have a hard time pinning this one uh, on Doug Ford. Yeah, it's a 95-year lease with this Austrian company that is going to be building a spa. The government points out that they're ready to make a half a billion dollar investment, but it's, it's somewhat humbling. I don't think you or I are going to be around when this lease mm -hmm. comes to an end. So how does it all unfold? And people remember the 407. They even remember uh, when we talk about Ontario Place, of course, the Science Centre is now being moved to Ontario Place. That also was a 99-year lease, mm. and it's somewhat problematic because apparently it says that it must be a science center that is on that land and so anyway they, these long 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 leases are something I think that definitely needs to be questioned. Oh yeah absolutely it sounds like a very long time and of course now the TRCA uh, speaking out and saying that they weren't consulted about you know whether or not residential properties can be built on the existing Ontario Place property mm -hmm. once it gets moved so uh, many interconnected issues there. Uh, turning to some news uh, stateside you know there was news about CNN uh, laying off Don Lemon or firing him. And now Fox News, after their uh, settlement with Dominion, has ousted Tucker Carlson, one of its most popular hosts. What an extraordinary and stunning development. Tucker Carlson is the number one cable host, but I think he's also sort of a generational figure of somebody who is willing to say and do anything in order to make a buck and drive ratings. And as a result of that Dominion ruling, almost a billion dollars that Fox is going to have to pay out. And remember, there are three or four more lawsuits that Fox is probably also going to lose. I guess they just decided that Tucker Carlson was a liability. <laughs> now, he'll live to fight another day, mm -hmm. but I think after having been fired by three different networks, Works, he's going to become mm. somewhat of a fringe figure. Wow, interesting. I can just see, I don't know about you, John, Netflix uh, trying to turn this into a new series <laughs> yeah. or something, like the morning show, maybe just the Fox News show, even though there is that movie Bombshell. Uh, so we'll have to see uh, what he does with all that money and, I guess, time in his next venture. All right, and uh, John, turning to this local story, a feel-good story that we actually touched on a few weeks ago about a Toronto dog. I think his name was Max, but he was it left is. at a park by his owner with the note attached to him saying that the owner could no longer longer afford to look after him. Well, now Max uh, has a new home. This is great news.
It's a bit of a bittersweet story, though, because you have to reflect on the family that had to give up their pet dog because they couldn't afford him. Apparently, they had lost a job and then lost a home, and they couldn't pay for the food, so they abandoned Max. Max was originally going to be fostered. They tracked down the family. They said, will you ever be in a position to take him back? And the family said, we think it's better he be adopted. Mm -hmm. He's a cute pooch, mm -hmm. and he has now found, as people like to say, his forever home. <laughs> I love the play on words. And you have a cute pooch, too, wearing a bow tie at your uh, sister-in-law's birthday. I saw that. Very finely dressed pooch, I must say. Uh, what's your dog's name, John? Well, that one is Briscoe. He belongs oh. to uh, some of the cousins of my partner, but my guy is called Rory, named after Rory McElroy because we like golf that much. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's hilarious. Rory's also uh, the name of my youngest son's best friend, so <laughs> <laughs> runs everywhere. Okay, News Talk 1010's uh, John Moore. Always a pleasure chatting. Have a great show today. You too. That's Jennifer Shang over at CP24. <laughs> it's funny to talk about dog names. Because I will always remember, my mother thought it was scandalous to give a dog a human name. Because there was a dog down the street named Tony. And my mother would say, well, what if he meets a person named Tony? And I thought, well, I don't know. Will the person object that much? Uh, but nowadays, it's extraordinarily common. And there's, there, I don't know, there's not a lot of dogs named like Bones or Biscuit anymore. They, uh, they, people seem to favor human names. But yes, just to bat clean up on that whole thing, if you follow me on social media, and Jennifer and I follow each other on social media, I posted a picture on Saturday night that just went nuts because it was cute. And it was a fox terrier wearing a bow tie. But the fox terrier uh, belongs to cousins Martin and Anne. Uh, who live in uh, Saint-Lazare in Quebec because we were there to celebrate my sister-in-law's birthday. My guy um, doesn't pose for pictures very often. He's a somewhat unruly dog, I have to admit. It's, it's kind of like I, I, parents occasionally, I've had friends of mine say, you know, my daughter, she's really a problem. And she's like four. And uh, yes, coming to the realization that your dog is extraordinarily barky and kind of mean to other dogs is um, an unfortunate experience. It's 5.25, and of all the topics we've talked about in the last few minutes, I think most of them need more perspective, so we'll start doing that in just a moment. 5.28, and Torontonians... You know what? It's, it's one of those facets of life where you wake up in the morning and if something awful has happened, you suddenly remember, oh, right, something awful happened. But much more fortuitous circumstances, waking up in the morning and going, yeah, that happened. And you don't have to be a Leafs fan. I mean, I did not see the end of the game, so I was not a part of that absolute eruption that must have been like millions of people watching on TV, people who were in the arena, people just losing their stuff. Because not only did the Leafs win, which is amazing, but they won in a spectacular fashion. And so, so many people waking up this morning saying, yeah, that was great. I cannot wait for Thursday. So we'll see what happens on Thursday, but certainly they seem to have the momentum. And so if they win this series, I think, I think the city just keeps reaching these higher and higher plateaus of can we actually be this excited? Can the Leafs actually do this well? How long is this going to continue? We're so used to the Charlie Brown and Lucy with the football scenario that I think we're still pinching ourselves thinking, wait a second, this could actually happen. Now, I don't know if we're going to the big dance. 
you know, Mike Toth used to do sports here. And like game one of the season, the Leafs would win. And he said, we're going to the big dance. We're going to the big dance. Okay, let's not get ahead of ourselves. But kind of like the Raptors run to the championship, it's an exciting time in the life of this city. In the next half hour, going to find out a little bit more about what happened to Tucker Carlson. And I don't think it can be underestimated, the impact of this in both television, news, entertainment, and politics. Tucker Carlson was, he wasn't the first person to lie endlessly on television for ratings and for money. Wasn't the first person to embrace um, racism, anti-Semitism, um, despotism. I'll tell you a story a little later on today. Some of you may be familiar with Father Charles Conklin, but I've always said Tucker Carlson was the Father Conklin of our times. Father Conklin's stardom was during the Depression, the 1930s. He was a Canadian too, as a matter of fact, but he was a star in the U.S. And now he's even more so Father Conklin because when the networks got tired of that priest, they fired him and he died decades later in obscurity. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. 5.36 on a Tuesday morning, April 25th. We're slouching toward the month of May. And I say slouching because this month has been singularly unimpressive. And I mean, we had that stretch. I was in a discussion yesterday with a server who said, well, we had a, actually it was a chef. A uh, chef came to visit us, and he said, we had those six great days. I said, I only remember two of them. But anyway, you slice it. We had this tiny stretch of gorgeous weather, and for most of the month, we've been trending three, four, and five degrees below where we should be. As a matter of fact, by the end of April, because it's one of those transitional months where, you know, the average temperature, expected temperature on the 1st and the 30th are markedly different. Um, you know, we've been well below average and will continue to be so. But that's okay. Eventually, we're going to get to that incredible weather. Uh, the trees are already popping. The grass is already green. So I am totally ready for spring should it ever arrive. Tarek Fatah passed away yesterday. I got the um, tweet from his daughter, uh, Natasha, who is a journalist at the CBC, and she actually took a leave when Tarek's cancer came back. Tarek battled cancer. I'd have to look through my catalog of photographs because I remember Robert Turner and I went and sat with him. He had discovered he was having trouble with his back. And then he went in to have it looked at as if it was a back issue. And they said, no, you got cancer. And he was actually, by that time, the uh, tumor paralyzed him for a while, but he beat that cancer. He fought back. And that has to be a good 10, 12 years ago. So it was almost like a second life for Tarek Fatah. But it came back, and Tarek and I, if we can kind of set the table, um, he was, well, I, re I remember the day, we were at a hotel now demolished on Jarvis Street, and they had all these slides prepared for us to reveal what the new lineup on News Talk 1010 was going to be. And it was going to be a show called Moore in the Morning, this was in 2009, and on the first slide, it was a picture of me, it said more in the morning, and then it was a picture of Tarek, said with Tarek Fatah. And he would join us every single morning for political an analysis, kind of like we have at 6.20 on the morning brief now. And 
Tarek, I mean, if I, you know, testimony to his character, he was hilariously funny. There was a mischief about him. The accent was absolutely embraceable. And his analysis quite frequently was spot on, but he and I increasingly began to clash over the fact that Tarek was, I thought, obsessed with Islam and Islamic violence and Islamic terror. And there was plenty to fuel that at the time. There was plenty to argue about. And at the time, it seemed that Islamic-inspired violence was infecting Europe and Canada and the United States. And it's still an issue. But frankly, I think we've been borne out in all of this. The real threat is the hard right and uh, neo-Nazis and white supremacists and incels. Um, but that doesn't take anything away. U ultimately, and I don't remember when, we kind of parted ways. And it wasn't something, it wasn't a severance or anything where, you know, I said, it's him or me. Um, but Tarek um, was no longer on the morning show. We would trade messages. We'd see each other sometimes on panels. But we didn't see each other for a good long time. And then I saw Natasha's um, posting that Tarek was sick again. He was back in the hospital. And I immediately texted her and I said, do you think that he would enjoy a visit? And she said, please come. And I went. And it was, what an interesting visit it was, because Tarek was already very sick, and I knew that this was going to be the end, that this would be the last time I would see Tarek Fatah. Um, and he was very disoriented. And then all of a sudden, his eyes opened, and he said, it's you. And I said, yes, it is. And it was hilarious, because then he played this kind of peekaboo game where he covered his eyes and then uncovered his eyes, and, and then he said, it's still you. And so we had this wonderful, wonderful talk about everything. And it wasn't even sort of like, oh, my goodness, where, you know, what, what went wrong? It was just, you know, two old friends and somebody who I adored. And it's also nice, I think, and I always implore people to think about this. If you visiting with somebody, spending time with somebody... Um, sending an email or whatever to somebody is going to bring them a moment's happiness. What easier thing is there to do in life than to be able to provide that? It's it's the cheapest currency there is. You've got some audio? Housemates from Sri Lanka and the Philippines imprisoned and hanged till they die. That's the sort of people who are our enemies. And that's the sort of people where freedom of press freedom of expression, AM radio, the written press, the producers, the broadcasters, the engineers, they are the frontline troops that stand up to the horror that is Islamism today. And the Saudis represent that. So for goodness sake, on this day, perhaps I might be back, perhaps I might not be, but remember me for one thing, we need to stand up for the truth no matter what. And as the Indians stay, that's their motto. Truth always surfaces and stays at the top. Thank you very much. Goodbye, CFRB, News Talk 1010. Goodbye, Tony. Goodbye, Mike. It was wonderful working with you guys. That was Tarek's last show, because in addition to being a commentator on our show, he had his own show, and I think he shared airtime with Michael Corrin as well. And... Tarek was, I, I, the word that still comes to mind is mischievous and uh, funny. And 
yet, as you heard in that clip, also very, very preoccupied with um, sectarian issues that uh, we sometimes disagreed about. But hey, that's what talk radio is for, right? The, the question people always ask when we make public appearances is, do John and Jerry get along? And as you'll hear at 8.45 in the morning every day where Jerry comes in and we have a quick chat about what's coming up in his show, yes, as a matter of fact. Um, I can't think of anybody who has ever worked here, well, not ever, but in the time that I've been here, for example, we may clash from time to time, uh, but we all get along and respect each other. So Tarek Fatah, on your next voyage, I wish you well. And Natasha, uh, you know, what, a, what an extraordinary father you had and what an extraordinary thing you did for him. Natasha took a leave from her job to look after her dad. And Natasha's sister, who is absolutely, Nazia is charming, but Nazia has autism. So, you know, she needs some care and love as well. So, I mean, Natasha was really on her own in all of this. But what a parade. It's kind of like when Christy Blatchford was sick. You know, you'd turn around and walk out and some other media figure would be walking in. Um, we'll talk about Tarek on the show this morning, but we got to get down to the news because I got to get you ready for your day. And there are a couple of stories. I'll dig into them on the other side in just a moment, but just kind of like this is the sort of stuff I love talking to Mark Mendelson, our crime specialist about. For example, a man who is suspected of having gone to a gas station in 2022 and murdered uh, the woman he was in a relationship with and then faked his suicide in order to disappear. Police are now looking for him, convinced that he is still alive. And then two people who may have aided and embedded him have been arrested. And then there's the case. What is, I mean, this is like a Linwood Barclay book. There's a case of a lawyer in Markham who has vanished. And people know her in her professional life but police have been able to, unable to discover anything about her private life. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. So yeah, more on that case of the lawyer in Markham who has vanished. Her name is Isabella Dan, 53 years old. Last seen nearly two months ago, it was March 3rd, in the area of Waterwalk Drive and Verclair Gate in Markham, Ontario. But here's the thing, she vanished. She was actually last seen, she left her home, and police say when they went into the home and inspected it, they found it to be uncharacteristic of somebody who left without the intention of coming back. But also, you know, there was food and stuff like that that were left out. So it was sort of normally you kind of clean things up on your way out the door because when you come home, you want the house to be in order. So that's what police found in the room. But she left the house and she got into a Porsche Cayenne that was parked out front. Investigators said, uh, from there, the investigators believe she was dropped off to meet an unknown person in the area of Highway 7 between Warden and Leslie and Markham. And she's never been seen again. But here's where it gets even more mysterious. She used pseudonyms. She was also facing ongoing civil lawsuits. She was facing investigations of the Law Society. And... As mentioned, just before we stopped down for uh, traffic and weather, she 
had a professional life and people knew her as a lawyer. They knew her from her practice. But police are finding no trail, really, no relationships, no intimate relationships, no friends. It's a very, very strange story. Mentioning in the five things you need to know that uh, the Ford administration is defending itself about a 95-year lease to an Austrian company for this spa in Ontario Place. Now, I need to know more about the spa because I've said in the past um, that if I lived in Iceland, which is never going to happen, but actually it's like a sliver more likely to be possible only because my sister's grandchildren are all Icelanders. But um, once you've been to Iceland once, which almost everybody has, because there was this spasm for about five years where everybody was going to Iceland and mostly Reykjavik, um, you know, you know, you don't need to go back. However, I loved the Blue Lagoon, which is this hot spring and it's enormous, and I've always said if I lived in Iceland, I would be there every Saturday afternoon. It's spectacular. So maybe that's what we're building at Ontario Place. And calling it a spa, people begin to think that that's more about, you know, somebody on a chaise lounge with styrofoam between their toes getting a mani and pedi. And that's not necessarily what this spa is about. So need to know more before we reflexively start calling it something for the rich and the spoiled. I do worry that they want to build a parking garage at Ontario Place, which, you know, the future of the car is not the present of the car. So building parking garages is kind of a waste of space. So I worry about that project. But anyway, you slice it, a 95-year lease is a good long time. I will be dead long before, actually, there's, unless you're like six years old, I don't think there's anybody listening right now who will still be alive when this lease comes up for renewal. So that's a pretty major commitment. And the government won't release anything uh, about this deal because they say that would compromise the fact that it is a for-profit deal with, uh, with a company. So, you know, that would be proprietary information. It's 5.51. And Tucker Carlson, it was fairly astonishing. You know, in, in the things you could predict in the wake of Fox deciding to settle out of court uh, with Dominion Bank um, voting machines, in the things that you could predict if you made a list of here's going to be the consequences of this, I don't think anybody thought, whoa, Tucker Carlson's in trouble. But yesterday, Tucker Carlson was shown the door. Here with more is NBC News national radio correspondent Aaron Rial. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning. Yeah, I did not have firing Tucker Carlson on my bingo card, but when you pull out 30,000 feet, it actually kind of makes sense. Both Tucker Carlson and CNN host Don Lemon both abruptly exiting their cable outlets on Monday. And and yes, they were both firebrands and they both had a lot of issues. And you're like, eh, I guess it does kind of make sense. I <laughs> just wasn't expected. And it is kind of odd that it happened on the same day, just hours before uh, Fox's announcement of Carlson's departure. Actually, they had in a statement that Fox News Media and Tucker Carlson had agreed to part ways. It, they were still showing promos for his primetime show after the announcement. So this was definitely abrupt. You know, if they, they couldn't get the, the promo programming prop, uh, properly adjusted in time. So um, they said that they thanked him for his service at the network and, and that the host and he and the network were parting ways. Now, Lemon, on the other hand, had a much more fiery response to being ousted. He went to Twitter. He said he was stunned 
respond. He said that it's clear that there were some larger issues at play and that he had no, no indication that he would not be able to continue doing the work. And actually, CNN fired back to that statement. They said it was inaccurate and, quote, offered and Lemon was offered an opportunity to meet with management, but instead released a statement on Twitter. It's the White House Correspondents' Dinner on Saturday. That is the annual event. It's attended by presidents for decades from both parties, and it celebrates the First Amendment. It honors journalists. It's going to be weird. Actually, the headliner, Roy Wood Jr., said that he already threw out a script after the exit of, of Lemon and, and Carlson. He's got to rewrite that one. But these guys both had problems um, on the Lemon side. He's been there for 17 years, but in February, he actually said that presidential hopeful Nikki Haley was, quote, not in her prime and that women are in their primes in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. He later apologized for those, but then Variety last month, they published a report claiming that he made a lot of other offensive comments about women over the past, and they alleged inappropriate behavior towards female colleagues. And then Carlson, the problems just wow compared it's incredible so carlson we know that this departure comes just weeks after fox news defamation lawsuit settlement with dominion voting systems they settled for 787 million dollars an incredible number and within that we had access to text messages from carlson and and we saw that he along with host sean hannity laura ingram they privately mocked regular guests on the show rudy giuliani Sidney powell while at the same time continuing to promote conspiracy theories that they they espoused to their audience, knowing they were categorically false. They said as much in their text messages. Also, he's being sued, Tucker Carlson, by a former producer saying that he had a misogynistic workplace. And, and frankly, it, it was a lot. And also in those text messages that we got to see from this Dominion case, much of it is redacted. However, the network could see some, what was in those texts. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's something that directly correlated to his departure. Aaron, thank you so much. Good to have you this morning. Thank you. Aaron Rael. And yes, I mean, that's one of the worst things in a company that is managed by a family is Tucker Carlson was extraordinarily disrespectful of the Murdoch family. But the reason it's big news, aside from the fact that he's the number one cable news host, possibly the most successful in the history of cable news, He's also a political figure and a master manipulator. And I think this is a bit of a, uh, you know, the crossing of the Rubicon because Tucker Carlson ultimately, likely, got fired because he was lying. He was making stuff up. And what a sobering blast to the face for Fox News. You make stuff up, somebody's going to sue you and win. That is The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks a lot for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.